Journos, a stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. Sometimes the best way to identify a criminal is just to have somebody yeah. who's very clear at saying, you did it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it takes somebody humble and hell-bent mm-hmm. on self-improvement to just be like, right. hey, I'm wrong. I'm ready to be better. That's wonderful. Well, hi. My name is Brandon R. Reynolds. And my name is Stephen Jackson. And this is... Journos. Journos. What kind of fun are we going to get into today, Stephen? Uh, we're going to get into some fun talking about a crime of yesteryear. Mm, interesting. Yeah, but here's the rub. It happened this year. What is old is new again. Indeed. So what if I told you there's a Rorschach test for all of America's ills? I would slap your mouth. Wow, that escalated yep. quickly. Well, mm-hmm. uh, that threat of violence notwithstanding, I will proceed. So here, I'm I'm going to tell you a story that at once captures the following ideas. The supply chain crisis, social and economic inequity, criminal justice reform, um, trains, right? Okay. The last one came out of left field. I won't lie to you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So... So last week, a photojournalist working for CBSLA by the name of John Schreiber shared these uh, arresting images, aerial photos taken of the railroad tracks near downtown LA in this neighborhood called Lincoln Heights. And these tracks, this whole area just littered with packages and detritus, and it just looks like a bomb went off down there. It's apocalyptic. Um, And what happened was, or what has been happening, rather, is this. Uh, Thieves have been descending upon these boxcars that are uh, either slowing down or stopping as they head into downtown Los Angeles. And as they are sitting there, vulnerable as can be, thieves are cracking open these containers and just stealing everything. I mean, these packages are just strewn everywhere open some of them are open they're all rifled through it's everything that you can imagine from you know stereo speakers to packages from rei to uh covid tests everything under the sun because everything under the sun is uh put onto trains and then moved across the country to be sold yeah particularly los angeles which accounts for like A ton of shipping in the United States and the world. Yeah, yeah. Not just a ton, but uh, the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, they handle about 40% of the nation's maritime imports, okay? And most of those goods, which uh, are valued at nearly $450 billion, most of those goods move from the ports to trains. So the fact that this is happening in Los Angeles, I mean, this is where the action's at. If you're if you're trying to get into the train robin biz. Yeah, that's the thing that you kind of can't help but generate as a good American cultural consumer is all of this stuff just evokes images of great train robbery motifs. Yeah. Like, this is the bottleneck right there in Lincoln Heights. Yeah. This is where we're going to snatch the package of ho-hos. Yeah, you can take anything and you're going for the little tiny cakes yeah well you know they travel gotta think big man yeah yeah when the story came out it went everywhere immediately in a way that the keen observer of media will recognize as a childlike glee everybody picked it up because the images are so strong they're so compelling everybody knows what a train is 
everybody knows what an open package is. Yeah. And there was just a sea of open packages. And like you said, it seems to represent some kind of great failing. And then the stories are just super eager to go chase that stuff down. So you have like, here's one from The Guardian. On tracks near downtown Los Angeles, a team from Agence France Presse, or AFP, (laughs) on Friday found packages with labels of most major U.S. mail order and courier companies. Reporters from CBS LA on Thursday found boxes from retailers, including Amazon, REI, and others. So just this idea of like all of these reporters from all over the place, like just sort of scuttling around opening boxes or looking at open packages and being like, we got another identification here. And like everybody putting their little stories together there, you know, kind of on the spot. And then from that AFP story, quote, dozens of freight cars are broken into every day on Los Angeles's railways by thieves who take advantage of the train stops to loot packages bought online. And then this part I really liked. Leaving thousands of gutted boxes and products that will never reach their destinations. Yeah. Those poor products. Yeah, there's something about it that it's like the products that yeah. that lose out and not the people. But I, again, like the, the eagerness of the press to, to jump all over this thing as a like, this is something that's capital H happening. And maybe so, but also maybe it's not really about anything. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's just static that, again, you can kind of tease out whatever story you want. Yeah. And uh, to quote the Los Angeles Times, uh, Lena Kent, a spokesperson for BNSF Railway, a major operator in Southern California, said somebody was depending on those stolen items. Quote, these are not victimless crimes, particularly when many of these packages include much needed supplies. End quote. Now... Uh, This point is attempted to be driven home a lot by this crazy sort of whack-a-mole description of the items that are being stolen or being left, you know, among the detritus in this wasteland near the railways. Uh, One thing that comes up in nearly every single story that's covering this is that they're finding COVID tests. Right. So right. so among everything in the world, they have to point out that the COVID tests are among the things not getting to their intended recipient. And we're supposed to then, I suppose, make the jump to think, oh, wow, that COVID test, somebody could have taken that test, but because it didn't arrive on time, they didn't take that test. And then that person, they went to a party and that party was celebrating someone's well-earned retirement so it was many old people at that party and then everybody Mm -hmm. died yeah you could hear neil diamond come up forever in blue jeans (laughs) and that's when the the virus infected everyone (laughs) and you can trace that back to that moment where that package was left yeah yeah and it's clear who the bad guys are right i mean it's clear what this story is about the story is about people stealing from the trains and consequently us so like the headlines are Again, AFP, very overheated, very excited to be like running around in the muck. Thieves loot freight trains in Los Angeles with impunity. Or from the Press Enterprise, which is down the road in Riverside. Union Pacific Railroad thefts are another problem for beleaguered supply chain. And so what you see from all of the stories that emerge out of this is this emphasis on the perspective of Union Pacific the owner of the railway, right? Yeah, and why is that? Well, they're the ones who show up and have something to say. In kind of the same way as after there is a, quote, officer-involved shooting, the only people who really have all the details are the police. Mm -hmm. So they give a press conference, the media then jumps on it and builds those early stories out of the copy that is distributed by the police. So that's how you have terms like officer-involved shooting become 
part and parcel of these news stories. Like those people are the ones telling the story. They're the ones that are shaping it from the beginning. So too, in this case, Union Pacific is the ones coming out saying, hey, this is the thing that's happening. And of course they are. Yeah. It also means that some old news kind of got dug up. Yeah. It really was the power of this image by John Schreiber that sort of sparked this entire frenzy. From a journalistic standpoint, he did a great job. He was out there reporting objectively what was there. And then kind of what bloomed from that was a whole lot of finger pointing and a whole lot of blaming. Uh, And to your point, this is not a necessarily news story because the Union Pacific folks wrote a letter to Los Angeles DA, or rather I should say embattled Los Angeles County District Attorney George Gascon. They wrote a letter to him complaining about this uh, back in December. And the news didn't cover that. Like, that didn't get picked up or anything. It wasn't until this image that it became a story. So That's exactly right. Yeah. So as we're looking into the way the media is covering the story, for better or for worse, I do think that one person who emerges as something of a hero in the story on the media side is this photographer. Um, Because it does show the extent to which a picture like this can start, like, again, for better or for worse, a larger conversation everywhere. Yeah, it also shows that you can't control that narrative. Immediately it goes out there. Not that the photographer's trying to shape the narrative. He's just saying, hey, here's this thing going on. Ain't it crazy? And again, because it's this powerful image, the story took on a life of its own. And everybody sort of read it whichever yeah. way they wanted. The Rorschach test that I was talking about right. earlier. That crazy picture from the air is quite literally a Rorschach test. Well, no, it's not literally. Well, I mean, test. in a way, I'm saying just, okay, look at the picture. Let your eyes glaze over. Right? (laughs) I'll allow for it to be one of those uh, magic eyes. Yeah. I looked into it and I saw an image of society collapsing. Like a lot of people will just see the words blue lives matter. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Some people see an old lady, but I see a young woman. Yeah. And some people look into it and they say, recall George Gascon. That's exactly right. Yeah. So let's talk about this December 20th letter for a minute, because it's the thing that is used to offer what we like to call background on this issue. How did we get to this point? The photo would seem to ask. And Union Pacific offered this answer again at the end of December in a letter to George Gascon complaining about this rise in crime, in which they said they had experienced a 160 percent increase in criminal rail theft since December 2020. The number you see a lot is 90 containers are ransacked every day. The takeaway here is that a lot of the important numbers and quotes are coming straight from Union Pacific, right? Mm -hmm. And the letter to Gascon. And so that creates an obvious hero-villain potential conflict. Mm -hmm. Who's good? Who's bad? Well, if Gascon, who is a progressive, who has been very outspoken in his belief that low-level crimes should not be prosecuted. Often they're the result of addiction and poverty. And so those people should not be prosecuted. Instead, they should be rerouted into treatment programs and things. Yeah, And, of course, people who look around L.A. or looked around San Francisco when he was up there, they see homeless encampments. They see this random break-in here or there, and they go, it's because Gascon's not prosecuting these low-level misdemeanors anymore. And that's something that one could argue. Certainly the things that he is deprioritizing are not violent crimes, which a lot of people will see a murder and be like, well, Gascon's not going to prosecute that. It'll be stuff like trespassing, public drunkenness, um, again, things to do with addiction. 
And, you know, obviously there's a gray line there and maybe some of that stuff should be prosecuted. But it's also true that in the case of this story, none of that is clear. And so in this letter, a guy named Adrian Guerrero, who's Union Pacific's general director for public affairs for California and Stephen, the Pacific Northwest, okay. says, quote, criminals boast to our officers that charges will be pled down to simple trespassing, which bears no serious consequence. Without any judicial deterrence or consequence, it is no surprise that over the past year, UP, Union Pacific, has witnessed the significant increase in criminal rail theft described above. Yep. To which you can say, maybe. Maybe. Maybe so. Or maybe it's the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. I mean, I don't think that all of this is okay by any means. We do have laws against theft and crime and burglary and all of that that stuff. Um, I'm not saying that these people shouldn't be punished if you can catch them and you can prove it and there's evidence and all of that by any means. And I don't think that Gascon would say that either. And a reply from his office actually says as much in response to the letter that you just read. Alex Bastian, a special advisor to Gascon, uh, issued a response to a local news outlet. Uh, he said, some cases presented to our office by Union Pacific have been filed, such as burglary and grand theft, while others have been declined due to insufficient evidence. Uh, we make charging decisions based on the evidence. Our office takes Union Pacific's concerns seriously and hopes to discuss this issue more in the coming weeks. So again, like, that's also part of this black and white narrative. It's not like the district attorney of Los Angeles is just saying crime is okay or go out and break the law. The whole point of the larger philosophy behind people like George Gascon is like these problems represent the tip of the iceberg to all these massively larger, more serious problems that ought to be fixed and need to be fixed by things that aren't just like policing and punishment, such as addiction, mental health, access to education, like all of this other stuff that results in these smaller crimes. Yeah, exactly right. My point here is not, should we excuse the fact that there's all these torn open packages, that there's this obvious crime happening? No. But the point is, we should try and figure out what this story really means. Yeah. In other words, is there really some kind of greater risk going on here? Is there really some slipping of society's morals. Is this yet another sign of civilization's collapse? And I think that's what's so interesting about these stories that seem so straightforward. Here's somebody stealing from a train. Mm -hmm. Somebody did it and they did bad. And Union Pacific is clearly the victim. Mm -hmm. And also all the people whose stuff got pinched along the way. Yeah. So that's where the focus of these stories are. And they don't dig even a little bit yeah. below the surface to ask questions like, what is the nature of victimization? I mean, what does it really mean that Union Pacific is having this big fit about this? Yeah, How badly hit was Union Pacific? Yeah, well, you know, I have a feeling you're about to tell me. You are exactly right, Stephen. Lay it on me. This is from the horse's mouth. So according to Union Pacific, in the last year, all of this theft has accounted for about $5 million in claims and losses. That's a lot of money. Well... Yes, it is to you and to most readers. $5 million is a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Mm. It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's a lot of COVID tests. It's a lot of COVID <laughs> tests. It's a lot of ho-hos. Yeah, it strikes right at the heart of our great consumer society. Mm -hmm. That's our lifeblood. Those are the veins through which all of our stuff flows. And now it's just leaking out onto the streets of Lincoln Heights. No, but numbers are only useful 
in the context of other numbers, right? So by itself, it's just some big number. But you have to look at it compared to other numbers that are important to, for example, Union Pacific. Luckily for you, Stephen, yeah. I've got a couple of those. So consider this. Union Pacific's revenue for the last quarter was $5.566 billion, which was a 13.15% increase year over year. So they are making a lot of money already, Mm -hmm. and they continue to make more, despite the fact that the supply chain issues are apparently wreaking havoc on them. So $5 million lost a year. Mm -hmm. That represents 0.02% of Union Pacific's annual revenue. Oh. That is a rounding error. That's an insignificant amount of money. Yeah. That is nothing to them. The only reason that it matters is because John Schreiber took this picture and all of a sudden it went wide. Yeah. So it's a drop in the bucket for them. Also consider that here in a few days, Union Pacific is going to release its fourth quarter earnings. And what we do know is that they just had a 10% dividend increase. Here's uh, Union Pacific's executive vice president and chief financial officer, Jennifer Hammond. Quote, Union Pacific continues to deliver strong cash returns to our shareholders. Today's action, coupled with the 10% increase earlier this year, is consistent with our targeted dividend payout ratio of 45%. Again, all numbers. But what it tells you is Union Pacific is doing great. Yeah. So the idea that this is some kind of existential crisis for the railroad is uh, not true. Yet, the letter to Gascon ends with this ominous threat, which is that Union Pacific may have to leave Los Angeles. Oh, come on. Where are they going to go? They're going to go to Orange County? I mean, what is this? You're going to change the railways from the port of Los Angeles and Long Beach? Well, maybe they'll dig some holes underground and Elon Musk will run tunnels. (laughs) And what? I mean, there's also like a lot of things that can be done here, like... Uh, Union Pacific has their own police who's supposed to be patrolling all of these areas, right? That's right. Yeah, they have their own police force, the Union Pacific Police Department, which, as you pointed out, has a proud history of looking at trains and keeping crimes from happening for a really long time. Yeah. And they've got clearly plenty of money. Yeah. They know where the trains are being broken into. Put more of your police there yeah. and then they won't break in, right? That would seem like a solution. Totally. And then, of course, they go back and say, well, we can send them over to Gascon and nobody's going to get uh, prosecuted and yada, yada, yada. The victim here, once again, is the train company. So to go th- back to this story being a great you know, sort of example of a Rorschach test for all of uh, the problems that people see in society, um, what I see and what I feel like other people may see is a lot of more deep-seated issues in that area, in that neighborhood, in in America at large, that um, are causing people to reach the point of desperation where they need to be robbing trains like it's the freaking, you know, Wild West again. And then either fencing these goods online, which is, you know, super easy to do these days, or having them go on the black market on the physical streets of Los Angeles. Like, so the picture that John Schreiber took also tells a story of a whole nother set of victims of people who are freaking, you know, in a really, really rough place. I don't think anybody wants to be robbing a train for for a living. I think that's a great point. And you have to dig a few levels below the picture to think about that. Because what you're seeing is evidence of a crime. Then you think criminals, somewhere somebody's benefiting from this at the expense of 
Again, the poor train company, $5.566 billion per quarter. Yeah, and I want to make it clear, too, that I also don't want to paint such a broad stroke of saying not everybody wants to be robbing a train for a living. I think there's also people who choose crime, right? It's equally foolish to just say that everybody who's committing crimes is doing so out of desperation. There's also people who are just like career criminals who are doing this, and this is a great crime to commit because they know exactly where the expensive stuff is stopped for the night. Yeah, so let's imagine it this way. Imagine there's a bank, right? And the bank keeps all of the money and all the valuables out in a shed in the back, and the shed is sealed with a zip tie, and the, and and the bank keeps getting robbed. People keep yeah. coming in and clipping the zip ties and taking all the loot. Okay. And and then the bank responds by writing a letter to the DA to say, you need to be doing more prosecutions of these things, right? Yeah. And then the media covers the story and says, hey, this is crazy. This bank keeps getting robbed. It's a fight between the bank and the DA. And then the media never stops to ask, hey, maybe the bank just needs to have better security. Yeah. That's kind of what this all feels like to me. Totally. Yeah. Zip ties are not um, they, it, they, just in general. Security technology has evolved. You know, it's not just zip ties and bubble gum anymore. Yeah. So get some guards for this thing. I agree. And really, the biggest takeaway here is not the goods being stolen. It's the way that we all perceive the story itself. It's this magnet. It's this Rorschach test for everything that you already sort of believe about the world. Yeah. There's two things that you're trying to sort out and that these stories are sort of failing to do. Help me. One is, how do you deter this actual crime that's going on? Mm -hmm. Right? Well, you can put more Union Pacific police in or put more Union Pacific police in. (laughs) The other thing is... The deeper question is, what is the real problem we're talking about here? Is the problem really that the railroads are such vulnerable places and that our entire infrastructure is somehow on the verge of collapse? Or is it that we are living in a society where we're seeing one manifestation of poverty play out? And maybe we should consider that as well. It's not saying you can do one or the other. It's saying, well, maybe we should consider both. And stories that just take the perspective of the trains and call it a political fight between a progressive DA and this massive corporation misses a lot of the nuance. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that's frustrating. Well, yeah. Part of that nuance includes the fact that these train routes, especially in Southern California, go through these low income neighborhoods where people may be more pushed to the brink to choose crime as a way to either make money or live their own lives. You got this image, and then you got a really relatable thing. You got trains, you got thieves, you got this rough around the edges neighborhood in downtown Los Angeles. Anybody can relate to this story and immediately pour all of their preconceived notions about what's wrong with America directly into this story and and be outraged about everything from the infrastructure bill to the supply chain shit show to the age-old arguments about what to do about petty crime. Somehow, this story was a magnet for all of those arguments and discussions. I think it's quintessentially American in in that way, right? Like you have a class issue, you have industry, you have policing, and you have people who are trying to find some opportunity. We love train robbers. Yeah. One of the great movies of 20th century cinema is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Everybody loves it. People love train robbers. Yeah. So why is there not a cheeky headline that's like, 
Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid strike in Los Angeles. Mm. Or whatever, you know, yeah. like why why is this all of a sudden this thing? Because it was everything but that. Because it was everything but like just fully evoking Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It was just because that's like the undercurrent to this. This is why people want to... Uh, uh, gravitate toward it. It's a modern day train robbery, but it's just like like everything that's kind of happening in our modern times. It's just kind of depressing, and there's nothing romantic about this. It's just sort of like, oh man, like you're not stealing gold bullion. No. So in a lot of ways, and despite how sort of frustrating this story may be, it is kind of a perfect story. Yeah. And do you know what, Stephen? What it gets even more perfect. Oh my god. Tell me how. How? What's the only thing that can make a train story better, Stephen? Oh, uh, tell me. I don't know. What? I don't know. Maybe the robbery itself is an NFT? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All roads lead to NFTs in in this terrible world of ours. Uh, no, a derailment. Oh. Mere days after the story came out, about all the packages. Yeah. A train actually derailed. Now, this is amazing. Amazing. Because the first thing you think is, well, clearly the packages must have done it. Yeah. The packages have been there for quite some time, Okay. Right? And the train derails. Yeah. So this is one of those obvious correlation but not causation moments. No one knows whether the packages or the train thieves or anything had anything to do with it. No one's saying that that's happening. Yeah. But just because the stories are happening right near each other. Yeah. The human brain squishes all that stuff together and gets super excited about the fact that somehow all of these empty tampon boxes are causing trains to fall off the tracks. All eyes on Lincoln Heights right now. I mean, just that's the thing. We're just we're, we're captured by this thing. So center of the world, center of the world. It's the it's the nexus of the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, Stephen, it reminds me of my favorite short story by Jorge Luis Borges, a story called The Aleph. Okay. In which Borges, as himself, goes to visit a friend who's very pompous. And his friend says, I've got something in my basement I've got to show you. So he goes down into the basement and there's this spinning, tiny light moving at incredible speed. And he lays down and he stares at it and he realizes it's the Aleph, the point at which all points in the universe converge. So as he looks into it, he sees every possible point in the universe, Mm. every star, every planet. He sees the inside of his own heart. He sees the body of this former lover. He sees all these things. It's the Aleph. That, Stephen, is what this train story is to me. Interesting. If this story has proven anything to us, it's that we can continue to add more crap to the end of it. Sort of like <laughs> sort of like a vehicle that you could add more pieces to. Oh, yeah, wait. And build it out. Yeah. And build it out. Like a bicycle. Mm. Stephen, I'm going to talk to you later. But it has been great to talk to you now. Always a pleasure. Yeah. For Journos, this is Brandon R. Reynolds. And this is Stephen Jackson. We're choo-choo-chewing our way into the future. Coo coo. No, it doesn't choo choo. It doesn't coo coo. <laughs> Neither of us. Journos is produced by Heather Eagle Ears Wilson.